In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about nipples, <laughs> groovy mutations, Victorian Dolly Parton, feral librarians, the Codex Eroticus, and necromancy in our discussion of Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. Necromancy! Necromancy! <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Sorcery of Thorns by Margaret Rogerson. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yes! Right, guys. Settle in. This is going to be a long one. Like, The Diviners long. It is. Almost as long as The Diviners. We will finish that one eventually. It will happen. So let's we just will. dive straight in. Background yes, info. Yes. Hit me with it. Yes. Um, in an interview about Sorcery of Thorns called Five Ish Questions with Margaret Rogerson on frolic.media, <laughs> she was asked about. <laughs> Five ish <laughs> questions. She was asked about the importance of YA, and her response was pretty stellar. Um, yes, I also love Frolic. I love Five-ish and Frolic. I love everything. Anyway, her response is, I think YA is popular because it's a space where girls and increasingly people of color are being celebrated as protagonists. It's unsurprising to me that YA resonates with adult women, too. That's us. Because so many of us lacked that element of empowerment in the fantasy we read as teenagers. So it can be tremendously cathartic to experience that later on as an adult. Oh, I like that. Mm, That's a brilliant response. (sighs) I forget I'm an adult sometimes. Me too. I mean, I don't act like an adult. And then I have to do something adulty and I just get very tired. Yeah. Horrible. I mean, I feel like we're both 12-year-old boys on the inside, so... Completely. Being an adult is so yeah. overrated. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. All right, what are your initial thoughts on this one? I, well, I want to say thank you to Brie, super fan Brie, for recommending Sorcery of Thorns to us. It was not on my radar, not something I was particularly aware of. She recommended it, and then all of a sudden, every single book group I looked at on Facebook was talking about this and saying how brilliant it was. Same. Can I just... Can I just say that I had no idea what this book was about because I was judging it by its cover. And to me, the cover looks very Sarah J. Mossy. And, mm. you know, those those books aren't my favorite. So, you know, you see a girl on the cover in a dress, but she also looks like she's going to fight somebody I just, I wasn't into it. And it's called Sorcery of Thorns. So I thought, okay, well, there's, you know, there, there could be magic. Yeah, that's fine. But I had no idea it was about a librarian. At all. No, no, no. And now we do. We could have had this back I, in September when we were lost in the stacks. I know. 
missed opportunity. But we didn't. We didn't. We yeah. didn't. But we've rectified it now. We have read it. We're discussing it. Yes. We will yes. still be discussing it come the new year. Yes. Because it will take us. Wrong. Yes. All right. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Yeah. Death rode to the great library of Summershall as night fell. The insignia of the Collegium across Quail and Key shines on the side of the carriage being pulled by wild-eyed horses. Waiting to receive it is the director, whose sword, Demon Slayer, is belted at her hip. Next to her is apprentice Elizabeth Scrivener, armed with salt. The director and Elizabeth take a coffer carefully from the carriage and deep into the vault, wary of the contents as they try to break free. Inside is a book, a grimoire, created centuries ago that has driven dozens of people mad. At first glance, it looks like it is covered in greasy black leather with bulbous protrusions. But then these lumps split open to reveal blood-stained eyeballs that twitch and roar. This is the Book of Eyes, created by sorcerers to reach into the mind of others. The general belief is that sorcery is evil, and it was only the reforms that stopped sorcerers from continuing to bind books with human parts, making grimoires such as the Book of Eyes exceptionally rare. These high-class grimoires are dangerous. If damaged, they can transform into a malefit. Battling one resulted in the scar the director has down her face, and it was with Demon Slayer she defeated it. With great care, Elizabeth and the director inter the Book of Eyes in the vault, but all the while, Elizabeth hears it whisper, Apprentice, I see you. Look at me. Look. It's creepy. It's so creepy. How amazing is it that the director has a sword to fight books? I love it. It's one of the greatest things ever. It's so good. It's so good. I demand you get a sword for the library now. I have a sword in my office. Well, that's good then. (laughs) (laughs) The Great Library of Summershall is one of Ostermere's six great libraries. Five of these great buildings are evenly spaced in a giant circle, with the sixth in the capital city of Brassbridge at its center. Elizabeth has spent her entire life being raised among the books and grimoires of the Great Library of Summershall, having been abandoned there as a baby. Now, at 16, Elizabeth is an apprentice, trusted to deal with the transfer of Class 1 through Class 3 grimoires. The Book of Eyes was a Class 8 on the 10-point risk scale. She's working on these when heated voices catch her attention. The director and her former tutor, Master Hargrove, are discussing her. Master Hargrove questions Elizabeth's suitability, advocating for her being sent to an orphanage. What? She's 16. At 16. At 16. She's been there for a while already. I think she's... I think it's a bit late. I think she's fine. I think she's fine. Luckily, the director is in favor of her staying. (laughs) citing her special connection to the books in the Great Library. This strengthens Elizabeth's resolve to prove herself. Contrary to their belief, Elizabeth has a friend other than the books. Catrian, 
Katrian Quillworthy, who she met when they began their apprenticeship. And she has news. A magister has arrived for a trip into the vault. And while the wardens are tense, Katrian persuades Elizabeth to go take a look. Mischief. Elizabeth and Catrian sneak into the reading room and while Catrian rifles through drawers for science, of course, Elizabeth smells of caustic and natural order. How, she would imagine, burnt metal would smell. Mm. Ew, no, no. Quickly hiding when they hear someone coming, they spy Magister Thorne being led into the room. Elizabeth judged he wasn't much older than her 16 years, though... He has a vivid streak of silver through his black hair and cruel grey eyes that looked straight at her hiding place. As the Magister draws near, one of the Grimwars grabs at Elizabeth's robes, and as she yanks at it, she takes the bookcase with her in the fall. <laughs> We've all seen that movie. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Frozen in fear on the floor, Elizabeth is convinced Magister Thorne is going to hurt her. She's heard the tales of sorcerers sacrificing innocents and eating babies, <laughs> drinking blood and all sorts of stuff. Instead, Thorne finds it amusing. He expected strange things, but not feral librarians roaming the stacks. <laughs> Always expect feral librarians. <laughs> Always expect feral librarians were lurking around every corner. Though Elizabeth is scared of magic, she finds it beautiful when Thorne uses it to tidy up the fallen bookcase. Elizabeth asks Thorne about the unnatural smell, which Thorne explains is the reaction when the demon realm comes into contact with their own. It's known as ethereal combustion, but... How did she know about that smell? Before he can get an answer, the director announces she is ready to take him down into the vault. Months pass, and Elizabeth is walking in the middle of the night and goes to investigate the sound that woke her. Images flash in her mind of claws on a table in a vault. That can't be right, and there's an unmistakable smell that strikes her. Ethereal combustion. Elizabeth searches in the dark, questioning where the wardens are, when she kicks something on the floor. Demon Slayer. Slumped, dead, beside the sword, is the director. Stumbling away, Elizabeth finds her hands covered not in blood, but in ink. (gasps) Oh no. This can't be good. Taking up Demon Slayer, Elizabeth goes in search of the Malefect. A monster that was once a book of ink and leather that has drawn upon the magic within its pages. Elizabeth finds the malefact in the orchard. It is the Book of Eyes. And she raises Demon Slayer as she charges in, drawing its attention. Amongst the trees, Elizabeth is able to lie in wait, listening to the book whispering in her mind. Taking the malefact by surprise, Elizabeth is able to thrust Demon Slayer into the monster, ink pouring from its wound, its bellow waking the town of Summershall. Elizabeth flees, but the monster soon catches her at a warden's supply cache. 
Struggling against it, she throws a pouch of salt, and as it screams, she drives Demon Slayer through a bright blue eye. Ink bubbles, the many eyes twitch, and the leather skin cracks and peels before the malefic disintegrates as the great library's bell starts to ring. That's amazing. That is amazing. Amazing. Yes. Master Hargrove and Warden Finch argue over Elizabeth's culpability. Surprisingly, Master Hargrove is defending Elizabeth against Warden Finch's accusations that of the two people who handled the Book of Eyes, one is dead and the other isn't. Shocking Elizabeth, Master Hargrave tells Warden Finch that the director left Demon Slayer to Elizabeth in her will and that logic must be employed. Too late! Warden Finch, (laughs) who has begun calling himself Director, has already contacted the Magisterium and refuses to listen to Elizabeth's lies. Sending her to the dungeon until the sorcerers come to collect her. Ugh! Ugh, that guy. Ugh. For over a week, Elizabeth waits in darkness, hopefully having a naked dance party. (laughs) She's not having a naked dance party, guys. (laughs) Hashtag callback. Hashtag vampire book club. (laughs) Let me start over. For over a week, Elizabeth waits in darkness until the day comes when Finch throws her out into the courtyard, where a carriage with intricate thorn detailing is waiting for her. A hooded figure emerges from the shadowy carriage and introduces himself as Nathaniel Thorne, the magister she met months before, and advises she shouldn't run because it will only make her look guilty to the Chancellor. Uh, who's the Chancellor? Surprised by her ignorance, Thorne explains that Chancellor Ashcroft is the second most powerful person in the kingdom and the head of the magisterium. Thorne's demonic servant, Silas, carries Elizabeth's small trunk to the waiting coach. Elizabeth isn't afraid of Silas. She inexplicably trusts him. However, Thorne... she does not trust him so much. It's a three-day ride to Brassbridge, and Elizabeth is convinced the whole time that Thorne is going to kill her on the way. Well, the journey is uneventful. (laughs) No murders, no no baby killing. No baby killing, no sacrificing, Mm. no blood drinking. Mm. Boring. Catrienne mm. was able to smuggle a lexicon of sorcerous arts in Elizabeth's belongings for her to use to gain knowledge or hit someone over their head. Practically. <laughs> Silas so... always seemed to be in the way of her escape plans and Thorne showed no signs of trying to murder her. An attack does come when they reach Brassbridge and on entering the lodge, a hooded figure grabs Elizabeth and holds a knife to her throat. Gasp! Not too much, because it's against your throat. (laughs) Nathaniel is laid back by the whole assault and attempted abduction of his charge. Together with Silas, they dispatch the man before fiends, lesser demons who are illegal to summon, come after Elizabeth. Nathaniel creates a magical whip, cracking it into the nearby building and bringing it down on the fiends. 
From the rubble, Elizabeth grabs a metal bar as a weapon, and together they head back to the carriage where they are chased by the demonic beasts. They make a stand in a busy square surrounded by vendors and other carriages, Elizabeth wielding the metal bar, Nathaniel summoning magic, and Silas using his claws. The end of the fight is hazy, and Elizabeth wakes in bed with the sun in her eyes and Silas making her tea. Nathaniel and Silas have brought her to the Thorn Estate. The fight the previous day has made the morning papers, and the headline reads, Suspect or Hero? Details of attacks and sabotage in libraries other than the one Elizabeth came from are given, and there's also mention of the fiend attack in Brassbridge. In light of the public outcry in her defense and the other library reports, Elizabeth's hearing has been called off. Now, she is to speak to the Chancellor directly. Ooh. Well, Elizabeth is all dressed up with only Hamlet Park to go to, and there are sorcerers everywhere, any one of whom could be the library saboteur, which is a chilling thought. Eventually, Mm. the carriage takes them to the Chancellor's residence, Ashcroft Manor, and it's the size of a palace, with a gauntlet of journalists waiting for them. Once inside, with grand flair and the smell of ethereal combustion in the air, Chancellor Ashcroft makes his entrance. With um, simpering a plume, the Chancellor declares to the congregated press that Elizabeth is cleared of all charges and he shall send a personal recommendation that she be considered for warden training. Unbeknownst to Elizabeth, she is also to move into Ashcroft Manor. Right now, because there goes her trunk. Oof. Elizabeth is also expected to attend Ashcroft's gathering that evening, which went exactly how most gatherings of self-important rich people with more power than sense goes. After dinner, (laughs) though, Elizabeth finally meets Ashcroft's demon retainer, Lorelei, who is entertaining uh, the gathering with her singing, but who only has eyes for Elizabeth. Oh. Demonic eyes. Oh. (laughs) A woozy sensation passes over Elizabeth when Lorelai approaches her, and she falls into the demon's arms. Demons typically have the ability to manipulate the minds of humans, but Elizabeth didn't feel the desire to give in to Lorelai, and so she wasn't overpowered by her. But the demon didn't seem to notice Elizabeth resisting her, so, you know, she just kind of played along. Lorelai guides a mindless Elizabeth through the manor, and into a drawing room where Ashcroft waits. Mm. Setting her bonelessly onto a divan, Lorelai and Ashcroft discuss their plans, <gasps> the attacks, and the director's death. Is this amateur hour? Is, this is amateur hour. Film amateur it hour. It is. Oh my gosh. So the sabotage was all them, and they don't realize that Elizabeth can hear them. Mm. Staging Elizabeth's body as if she has had a fall, Ashcroft calls for a physician who blames her fall on an excess of novel reading combined with the excitement of the past few days. (laughs) Clearly this physician is a quack, but Elizabeth feels that he's the only person she can trust with the information she has just gained and tells him everything. The doctor then 
diagnoses her with hysteria. Which is common amongst women who read novels. And prescribes bed rest. Though a stay in Ledgate Hospital would be his recommendation. I love slash hate everything about this section. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Rage. Laugh. Rage. Laugh. Yes. <laughs> I want to be diagnosed with hysteria because if and there's no cure, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, the cure is bed rest. Though they might take away your novels since that's the cause. I, I will hide them. Cold, dead hands, I will hide them. Yes, just listen to audiobooks. They'll never know. They'll never know. It's just, it's just Spotify. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm just listening to music. Yeah, totally. It's these groovy yeah. new beats. And then you just dance while you're listening to books all the time? Well, to be fair, I pretty much do that anyway. Yeah, me too. <laughs> For dears, Elizabeth is confined to her room. She sees lesser demons everywhere, including the butler, Mr. Hobb. How is Ashcroft controlling them? Hmm. One day, Elizabeth hears girls at the fountain near her room talking about her. The rumour is that she is deranged and she assaulted the physician. But isn't Ashcroft kind for taking her in? Oh, he's so kind. My guy is so nice. Oh my god. Oh. Thankfully. I wish I was deranged. <laughs> Wait. Wait, what? No. 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 I, I take it back. Okay. Thankfully, the physician didn't detail her ramblings in his notes, otherwise Ashcroft would know that he, Lorelei, have no effect on her. Lorelei can sense something is off and suggests Ashcroft enter her mind, but he doesn't. Elizabeth notes that Ashcroft has a Class 5 grimoire on his desk, which is illegal to own privately. Elizabeth fakes a fainting spell and waits for Lorelei to leave before asserting her will over the grimoire, the Codex Demonicus. She saw this in Thorne's carriage on the way to Bassbridge. Before she can investigate further, Lorelei returns with Ashcroft, who, clearly done with the situation, burrows into her mind to try and find out what she knows about him. Elizabeth focuses hard and only offers up the memory of the director telling her that she belonged in the library. Dissatisfied, Ashcroft tells the lesser demon butler, Mr. Hobb, to make arrangements to have her moved to Ledgate Hospital. Oh, no. Oh, no, you don't want to go there. Ooh, ooh. Ledgate Hospital is a place of suffering, not healing, where people are sent to disappear. But Elizabeth isn't going to let that happen to her, so after a quick knee to the groin of the guard, she's off. As she hides, Mr. Hobb, in his true goblin form... Come on, Mr. Hobb. He's a hobgoblin. Come on. on you can come nose, up with a better name than that. Hmm. Whatever. So he comes hunting her. A girl from the hospital, Mercy, has also found Elizabeth, and she tries to help her, but Mr. Hobb chases them until... They escape through an iron gate and part ways. Thinking. Yeah. Ugh. Elizabeth tries to contact Master Hargrove at Summershall and spends the days waiting for his response sleeping in the streets where she gets sick. 
As mm. she wanders the streets, she finds out about another attack, this time by a Class 9 Malfacet. She's running out of time and counting on Master Hargrove to respond to her letter explaining what happened to her with the Chancellor, but the reply she gets isn't what she hoped for. Suddenly, Elizabeth spots a young boy and is convinced he is actually Nicholas's demon Silas in disguise. She hastens after him down an alleyway where she is promptly threatened by ruffians, but Silas mm. rescues her. Gathering her up, Silas takes her to Thorn Manor. Silas explains to Nathaniel how he found Elizabeth, that he senses something is not right between the worlds, and only Elizabeth stands in the way of the disruption. Ooh. Ooh. I really like that scene. <laughs> Silas just, like, struts in. There's a little bit of blood on his jacket. It's fine. All those guys are dead now, don't worry. <laughs> I just like the fact that Elizabeth just keeps offering him her dress or cloak or something for Silas to clean the blood off himself. There you go. Don't have a hanky, yeah, use my dress. Your your appearance is much more important than mine. <laughs> hmm. Elizabeth wakes in bed. Tea, services, and breakfast laid out beside her. She remembers Silas's kind and gentle treatment. And then realizes, other than the letter from Summershawl, she has nothing. How is she going to fight the Chancellor? Suddenly, there's a knock on the door, and Nathaniel comes in. Elizabeth shows Nathaniel the letter, which confuses him, before she explains the truth about the Chancellor. As she explains, emerald sparks flicker from Nathaniel's hand, and the room falls into darkness. Nathaniel is astounded that Elizabeth was able to resist the Chancellor's spells. Elizabeth implores Nathaniel to help her make the Collegium believe her. She says the Great Library of Harrows is one of the Chancellor's targets, and its vault holds two of the three remaining Class 10 Grimoires. Nathaniel believes Elizabeth, but unfortunately, he points out that since the Chancellor had her declared insane, her word will mean very little to anyone of consequence. He tries to get her to leave it alone now that she's safe, but Elizabeth has set her course. Hmm. Later, Elizabeth is exploring Thorn Manor. The residence seems empty until she finds one door with green light seeping out. Nathaniel is working on an illusion for the Royal Ball, of a magnificent fairy tale forest. When the illusion pops, Elizabeth finds she is standing in Nathaniel's study and it is filled floor to ceiling with books. Ooh, yes. Mm, books. Books. With Nathaniel's permission, Elizabeth goes full bell. She finds her own <laughs> lexicon on a shelf with access to books. Elizabeth begins to read and to make a plan. However, the grimoires yield a disappointingly small amount of information. Dang it. Oh, books. Oh, books. <laughs> Sometime later, when Elizabeth breaks up a fight between two books, <laughs> she finds... <laughs> I know, I know. She finds a mirror hidden behind a bookcase. <laughs> this is no ordinary mirror, though. It's a scrying mirror. Ooh. Ooh. Did you also get Beauty and the Beast vibes from the scrying mirror? Heck yeah. By the way? 
asking to see someone she knows, the mirror shows her Catrian in the room that they shared, surrounded by piles of paper. Clearly, she's up to something, but honestly, when is Catrian not up to something? <laughs> Hijinks is her middle name. I think you're right. Surprisingly, the scrying mirror is two-way. Quickly, Elizabeth asks Catrian to locate a copy of the Codex Demonicus, the same book Ashcroft had before the image disappears. The magic seemingly gone for now. Elizabeth doesn't let the mirror go, and luckily, the next morning, the magic is back. Catrian tells Elizabeth that there are only two copies of the Codex Demonicus. One went missing centuries ago, and the other is in the Royal Library. She suggests Elizabeth get a job at the library to access it. Duh. <laughs> Just go and get a job there. It's fine. Finding a library job was a lot easier than Elizabeth expected. <laughs> she gave a fake last name and was hired as a maid servant pretty much on the spot when she showed no fear of the giant book lice. It Gross. isn't as easy to find the Codex Demonicus, though, as Elizabeth is micromanaged by an old servant named Gertrude. Fortunately, a disturbed nest of book lice distracts Gertrude enough for Elizabeth to slip away to the card catalogue, where she finds the shelf location of the Codex. Thankfully, Silas, in the form of a white cat, which Elizabeth named Sir Fluffington... <laughs> Followed her to the library and is able to offer her assistance in retrieving the location of the Codex by causing a whirlwind of chaos with a grimoire. Elizabeth uses this distraction to steal the Codex Demonicus index card, but how is she going to access the restricted archives of the Northwest Wing? Hmm. Can can we just get Sir Fluffington to help us out again? Because <laughs> I love that Silas is like so prim and stoic and proper, and she's like, "Oh yes, this is my cat, Sir Fluffington." <laughs> Do you know that name is mentioned literally once in the entire book, and it's just like, "Oh man, that's just beautiful." Such a good name. <laughs> that night, screams wake Elizabeth. Grabbing salt rounds and a fire poker, she investigates, smelling ethereal combustion in the air. The screams are coming from Nathaniel's rooms, where the walls are weeping blood. However, it's just an illusion. Phew. That's how you get ants. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Nathaniel was having a nightmare, but now Silas is at his bedside, calming him down. Oh, Silas. After Silas tends to his master, he takes Elizabeth to a drawing room. There he gives her something sent to the manor by Master Hargrove. Demon Slayer. <gasps> Silas also explains Nathaniel's nightmare. His mother, Charlotte, and little brother, Maximilian, died in an accident. And afterward, Nathaniel's father, Alistair, was lost to grief. Two months after Charlotte and Maximilian's deaths... Alistair exhumed their bodies and attempted to resurrect him through necromancy. <laughs> Nathaniel had hidden himself in the ritual room. They knew the spell would have taken Alistair's life, and upon seeing Nathaniel, Silas knew it would take him, too. 
so he ended it, killing Alistair. Nathaniel saw everything. (gasps) Nathaniel bargained for Silas to return while his father's body was still warm, sacrificing 20 years of his own life to the demon for payment at age 12. Oh, Silas. Silas asks Elizabeth to end him then and there, but she refuses. Instead, she demands he help save lives. Come on, Sir Fluffington. Get with the program. (laughs) I'm your cute little Toby. I just want to, like, scruff his fluffs. Could you imagine Silas, though? Mm. Silas would be so pissed. Why are you petting me? Stop it. My cravat! He is the ultimate kitty cat. (laughs) At the Royal Library, Elizabeth and Silas, in his cat form, creep along the halls as the grimoires snore, whisper, and laugh, and the wardens patrol until they reach the northwest wing. Sneaking into the archive, they encounter a waxen, expressionless Ashcroft, who seemed to be made of mist. After Elizabeth cuts him through with Demon Slayer, more spectral mist-like figures emerge. Warden Finch, Lorelei, Mr. Hobb, and the director. Elizabeth, spotting it for the trap it is, sheaths Demon Slayer. The spectral mist figures fade away, and the grimoire, the Illusorium, whispers, Smart girl, we have a room for you if you ever change your mind. As Elizabeth walks away, eventually she finds the codex encircled by chains, and it doesn't stir as it is taken from the shelf. As she hurries to leave, the Illusorium whispers, You are a true child of the library. Before the exit, Silas points to two figures, the library's director and Mistress Wick. They are conducting a transfer of a Class Ten grimoire, the Chronicles of the Dead, one of only three remaining, and discussing the saboteur's pattern and how Harrow's is a likely target. The destination of this grimoire and the location of the other two. Oh, why are they talking about where those books are? That's not a good idea. Oh, don't put everything together. No, stop it. When you split the team, this is a good time to split the team. Mm. The next day, Elizabeth is exhausted. The adventure took all night and she needs to keep up appearances at work. Eventually, she is given an extended break for a nap when one of the apprentices, Parsifal, approaches her and asks her if she is really Elizabeth Scrivener. Oh, no. I'm so proud of Parsifal for, you know, figuring out who she is. But it's fine, because he won't reveal her secret, because he's convinced she's on a secret mission for the Collegium. That's fine. Let's keep it up. She just goes right along with it. He does have some information for her. The saboteur struck the Royal Library last night and stole a Class Six grimoire. Whew, it was close. Hmm. Once at Thorn Manor that night, Elizabeth finally has time to read the Codex. The words swim and split, and she is only able to garner a small amount of information from the book. Falling asleep with the grimoire in hand, Elizabeth dreams of a man who looks like a stereotypically grizzled sorcerer in his workshop. He claims to have been trapped for hundreds of years after some bickering Elizabeth finds out he is Aldous Pendergast, 
and he's anchored himself to the grimoire to hide from Cornelius Ashcroft, ancestor of the Chancellor Ashcroft. <gasps> Prendergast tells Elizabeth that Ashcroft is trying to finish what Cornelius started, but he refuses to help. That she needs to go back. He's very grumpy. When Elizabeth yes. jumps, she finds the codex Demonicus has transformed into a Malfit. Oh no. Oh no. And it's in your bedroom. Oh no. Elizabeth throws salt rounds at the Malefic and it flees. So she grabs Demon Slayer from the floor and gives chase. Cornering it in the hall, Nathaniel comes out to find the Malefic growling at Elizabeth. The Malefic isn't very big and moves on all fours like an angry dog. Nathaniel is not surprised and agrees with great effort to revert the Malefic back into a book. Later, Elizabeth brings the scrying mirror to Nathaniel, and he tells her it belonged to his aunt. She used it to spy on her in-laws. <laughs> Together, they try to spy on Ashcroft, but when they are prevented by Ashcroft's magic, they use the mirror to contact Katrian and let her know that Ashcroft hasn't yet attacked the Great Library of Fairwater. They also try to get Nathaniel into the Codex to see Prendergast, but it doesn't work. After, Katrian tells Elizabeth that she thinks she is more physically resilient to magic than a normal person. After all, she survived what would have killed normal people. She's basically a human book louse. <laughs> Thanks, Katrian. Oh, she's so sweet. You're so nice. <laughs> You're so nice. Who needs enemies when your friends are so sweet? Mm. Elizabeth continues through the motions at the Royal Library until, as she is cleaning the Deputy Director's office, she sees they are talking to Ashcroft through a scrying mirror. The Great Library of Fairwater has been sabotaged, leaving Damn four it. wardens and three civilians dead. Only the Great Library of Harrow's has not been targeted. Later, Elizabeth and Nathaniel are talking and decide Prendergast is unreliable as evidence, so Elizabeth has the idea that they should confront Ashcroft in public at the Royal Ball. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> but it's the only one they have. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Literally everything. Literally everything. The Royal Palace feels like a different world. Elizabeth is nervous about their plan to confront Ashcroft. Even Demon Slayer hidden underneath her dress doesn't bring her comfort. Guests shoot Elizabeth tight smiles and unsubtly whisper about her. Rich people, man. She was. She was, after all, declared insane by the Chancellor. Judgy. Hmm. <laughs> Silas, disguised as a server, not a cat keeps one eye on Elizabeth. Eventually, Ashcroft makes his way over to Elizabeth and Nathaniel with false platitudes and graciousness about Elizabeth being well again, and a crowd discreetly forms around them. Nathaniel tells Ashcroft the criminals on the streets aren't half as bad as the ones living in mansions. Oh, burn. <laughs> then Elizabeth calls Ashcroft out. She did not recover as she was not ill, but was condemned to Leadgate by an incompetent physician. She says that Leadgate is a prison, not a hospital, and that Ashcroft was releasing 
fiends and silencing witnesses in the Great Library investigation. Ashcroft scarpers, and everyone watches him go, open-mouthed. The Magisterium and Silas follow. In the hallway, Elizabeth has a panic attack, which is completely understandable given what she's just done. Then Nathaniel takes her outside to a hidden garden and he talks about his brother. They then share a kiss. But something strikes Elizabeth. He didn't want to ever talk about his family before, so why would he do it now? Mm. Because Nathaniel has been put under a spell by Ashcroft, that's why. And he is stepping from the shadows right now. Oh, God. Elizabeth lifts Demon Slayer, but then Ashcroft reveals Silas, bound by iron chains. <gasps> Gasp! Oh, no. Oh, no. Ashcroft has been using the scrying mirrors against them and knows all their plans. And he needs Elizabeth to access Prendergast. Nathaniel challenges Ashcroft to a sorcerer's duel. But unfortunately, Elizabeth can't watch, as she has to free Silas and take on Ashcroft's demon, Lorelei, and the fiends he has called. You you just have a one-on-one -on -one battle, and I'm going to fight all these guys you know what? That's by myself. Just life. <laughs> After a brutal fight, Elizabeth is being held by Lorelei. Damn it. But Silas manages to slide Demon Slayer to her. Elizabeth stomps on the hilt, flipping the sword up and thrusting it into Lorelei, which sends the demon back to the other world. So badass. So badass. Especially since she grabs it by the blade and is like, well, fuck, I just slit my hand open, but gotta stab her. Gotta do it. Girl's gotta do what a girl's gonna do. Elizabeth frees Silas just in time for him to dive in front of Nathaniel, who is about to be stabbed by Ashcroft, taking the strike instead. Ashcroft is stunned because Silas wasn't commanded to do that, and demons don't typically sacrifice themselves for their masters. Ashcroft runs off, now magicless because his demon is gone, but Elizabeth doesn't pursue. Nathaniel has been hurt from the duel. Oh no. Mm. And Nathaniel is in a bad way. And Elizabeth has trouble getting anyone to believe what happened until Ashcroft's sword is found. Eventually, with help, Elizabeth is able to get Nathaniel back to Thorn Manor, which has gone into lockdown because its magical wards sense a thorn is in dire need. Luckily, the wards open for Elizabeth. Inside, physicians tend to Nathaniel, and it is a tense time. Elizabeth doesn't release Demon Slayer from her hold and smashes all the mirrors in the manor, just in case. The next day, when Nathaniel is declared to be in recovery and is conscious, he kicks out the physicians. He, with Elizabeth's help, heads to the forbidden room in the manor to summon Silas back. <gasps> Silas, bring him back. Yay. Nathaniel calls forth Silariathus, Silas's true demon form, and he is beautiful, but frightening beyond all reason. More hungry and less human. He demands 30 years of Nathaniel's life as payment to re-enter his service. Elizabeth argues with Silariathus, but he is unmoved and tells them his sacrifice was to gain a greater reward when summoned again. 
It's so hard to believe that because Silas is so good. But then he's a demon on the inside. (laughs) Elizabeth offers 10 years of her life to add to Nathaniel's offered 20 and relinquishes any control of Silariathus in favor of Nathaniel. Silariathus agrees, and when he steps out of the circle, he is Silas again. Thank goodness. Elizabeth bears the demon mark with no gift of magic of her own, but Nathaniel's magic has been restored. Silas warns Elizabeth to never set him free, no matter how dire the need for his true power is or how frightening whatever they're facing might be. Without a doubt, in his true form with no barriers, he's going to be worse. Don't do it. Mm. <sighs> In the days that follow, Ashcroft is dragged through the newspapers with the Magisterium hunting him down, though he is believed to be in hiding behind the wards of Ashcroft Manor. While Elizabeth waits for Nathaniel to fully recover, since the summoning took a lot out of him, a package from Catriane arrives. It's a map of Ostermere, and on it she has marked the attacks in red ink. Later, when things are heating up between Elizabeth and Nathaniel, mm-hmm, wink, mm-hmm. wink, Silas, unfortunately, has to interrupt them because something is happening to the Codex Demonicus. It's transforming into a Malefit. Oh, no. Not again. Not again. Come on, they were just getting somewhere. When Elizabeth and Nathaniel reach the study, it looks like the Codex is being tortured. Oh. Without hesitation, Elizabeth goes into the Codex, taking Nathaniel with her, and finds the workshop in disarray. Pendergrass is crumpled on the floor, and as grumpy as ever. Ashcroft somehow found a way in, and Pendergrass couldn't resist the torture and told him everything. Dang it. The great libraries form a pentagram, and Cornelius Ashcroft built the great libraries as a form of a summoning circle. Defeating the Malefics and sabotaging each library is a part of the summoning process for a great evil, a creature of almost limitless power, Archon. They must journey to Harrow with all haste. Pendergrast gives some of his blood to them to drink, which will transport them through the other world. To Harrow's. Fast travel. Yeah, geez, and they need it. This is about to get bad. They arrive close to their destination. Silas can't accompany them inside, so he disappears into the forest in his Sir Fluffington form. And Elizabeth (laughs) and Nathaniel finish the journey on foot. The great library of Harrow's is cut into a mountain and rises like a black citadel surrounded by barricades. Thankfully, they are able to gain admittance and are granted an audience with the director if all weapons are left outside and Nathaniel is shackled. As they walk to the director's office, they can hear the screams of a captive Malefit that guards the vault. But they also use it for combat practice and it's coming from the dungeon. It's not a pleasant place. As news of Ashcroft's betrayal hasn't reached Harrow yet, the director doesn't believe their claims and says Elizabeth is addled by demons. Mm. She does bear a demon mark now. Mm. The director orders them to the dungeon to wait out their claims. 
Though Nathaniel has every faith that Silas will come rescue them, because he always does, (laughs) the wait is horrible. As Silas is no amateur, he sneaks into the dungeon and is able to free them with a set of the warden's keys he managed to pick up, and they even find Demon Slayer on their way to the vault. First, they need to get around the Malefict Guard, who is the size of a house and trapped in an arena-style pit. Behind it is the vault, protected by a portcullis. Before they can do anything, the director enters, heading toward the vault. To get past, the director uses his key, which drags the Malefict up, making it hang like an animal waiting to be slaughtered. Mm. Elizabeth hurries after the director and prepares to stop the Malefict, but they're plunged into darkness by the Malefic's massive form. However, it doesn't attack because Silas has bitch-slapped it down. As they sneak through the halls of the vault, they find a warden under a sleep spell. Suddenly, it dawns on Elizabeth, but it's too late. It's not the director they followed into the vault. Then, Ashcroft steps out of the gloom and offers them a grotesque smile. Oh, no. Ashcroft has been possessing the directors and forcing them to perform the sabotages of their own libraries. Ashcroft taunts Elizabeth with the Summershall director's possession and death as they move into the vault's centre, where the Class Ten grimoires reside. The Librum Draconicum, the Oculus and the Chronicles of the Dead. Ashcroft pulls the director's sword and inserts it into the hidden mechanism in the middle of the great library sigil carved into the floor and opens a passage, creating a crack into the cavern. While Elizabeth tries to run, Ashcroft plunges his hand into the living heart of the Chronicles of the Dead, causing it to transform into an Amalefict, before relinquishing his control of the director. Mm. He is... Grotesque. Mm, There's not even words. He's the worst. (sighs) With a small touch, the Malefict empties the director of his life, and he explodes to dust when he lands. Then the Malefict turns to Elizabeth, but she and Nathaniel manage to escape through the weakened portcullis, its bars having been twisted from Ashcroft's actions earlier. In the distance, they hear a warning bell toll. When they exit the underground hallways, it's into the chaos of battle. The Malefict is drawing strength from each life it takes. The battle rages, and the new director enlists Nathaniel's help to put down the creature, even though directors never trust sorcerers. Silas can't fight it because the book was created by Balthazar Thorn, his old master, and his orders forbid him from fighting it even after Balthazar's death. Elizabeth toys with the idea of setting Silas free, but she doesn't. Thank goodness. As the great library crashes around them, Nathaniel has an idea so crazy it just might work. But Elizabeth isn't going to let him do it alone. As Nathaniel walks toward the Malefict, Elizabeth heads toward the nearest cannon and fires. The cannonball hits its mark and explodes with salt, causing the Malefict to reel back. 
But then it catches Nathaniel, and its whispers infect his mind, turning him against the girl he loves. <gasps> Realization washes over Elizabeth, and she steps down from the cannon and into Nathaniel's arms. The vial of Prendergast blood around Nathaniel's neck is now empty. As they disappear, the Malefect howls in fury. Oh. Oh, oh. secret fast travel. Oh. Elizabeth, Nathaniel, Silas, and the head of the Malefect materialize in an unfamiliar parlor, stunning the ladies who were taking tea. <laughs> so funny. Realising they are only a short distance from the Royal Library, they dash off, leaving stunned footmen in their wake. <laughs> yeah. As they run through the streets, ribbons of ethereal combustion fill the sky. The Archon is here, and with it, lesser demons and fiends which have begun to fill the streets. Now they must battle their way to the Royal Library, and the sight that awaits them draws Elizabeth up short. There, at the end of the Grand Hallway, a slash reveals a cobalt sky filled with stars. The books that once lined the hallway float weightless around the portal's edge. Elizabeth casts about and finds a secret passage amongst the bookcases, and with a polite request, it opens for her and leads them to where they need to go, the restricted archives. As they pass by the grimoires, their whispers pass over Elizabeth. They will let them through safely, but... They're impatient for her to get on with it. Elizabeth understands the will of the library and starts to lift the chains and cages securing the books, saying the library wants to fight back. Reaching the atrium, they meet against an army of demons, which the freed books attack, severely outnumbering them. Yay, fighting books! (laughs) Elizabeth and Nathaniel leave the books to it and go in search of Ashcroft. As they make their way through the library, they see books sacrificing themselves, trying to repair the rifts to the other world. In the middle of the atrium, they find Ashcroft's summoning circle, and Ashcroft looking up at an inhuman figure. Archon. Ashcroft is trying to leash Archon to his command. Dude, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> Sorry. Definition of fruitless. Yeah. Ashcroft releases magical attacks which Nathaniel battles with his magical whip as Elizabeth makes her way forward. Taking the iron grate key from Harold she still has in her possession, Elizabeth lashes its thick iron chain around Ashcroft's wrists, which redden and swell instantly. Elizabeth then presses Demon Slayer to his throat. The glow fades from Ashcroft's eyes. Archon's something can't be revoked with his death. Archon is no ordinary demon. Ashcroft, in his mania, doesn't see that summoning circle cracked from the movement of the tiled floor, or hear Archon's voice, nor the giant luminous hand stretching above him, its palm descending to swat him like a fly. Elizabeth saves him at the last possible second. She wanted to see Ashcroft's face when the truth finally hit him, Then she kicks him away before returning to Nathaniel and Silas. Every second of this is badass. 
Yes. Serenity passes over Elizabeth as she realises that they are going to die. Then she frees Salatharis from his bond. Oh, you are never supposed to do that! <sighs> Ultimate demon battle! Silariathis only has eyes for Nathaniel. Nathaniel is prepared to die and forgives Silas. A hand of Silas still resides in Silariathis, and despite his hunger, he kisses Nathaniel's hand, then turns to Archon. He cannot win against Archon in a fight, but he can end the ritual and send Archon back to the other world. <sighs> Turning, Silas walks into the light. <gasps> Silas is gone. Oh, no. But he saved the world. He is the best of us. <laughs> I'm sad now. I know. At the Collegium with Catrian. Elizabeth is a fidgety mess, awaiting the arrival of Mistress Wick. She enters with the plum and authority and informs Catrian that her transfer to the Royal Library has been granted. Her efforts against Ashcroft and exposing ex-Director Finch's crimes helped her case. To Elizabeth, <laughs> Mistress Wick offers a newly forged great key and a reinstatement of her apprenticeship. However, Elizabeth doesn't feel like she wants to be a warden any longer. She doesn't know what she wants to be. Mistress Wick tells her the offer will remain open. Waiting for her outside is Nathaniel. He no longer has his magic and the library no longer has Elizabeth. So, they save the world together now. They'll figure out what to do next. Their attempts to summon Silathius have met with no success. But then, mm. on a whim, Elizabeth lights the candles found the summoning circle in Thorn Manor and whispers the name Silas. A breeze flows through the room and all five candles go out at once. <gasps> the end. <sighs> Yay, Silas gets to come back. <laughs> Seth Luffington comes back. Yay! That's all we care about! <laughs> Yay! <sighs> right, that that's was a, a long one. summary. I think everybody needs a quick break. Go and grab a drink. Yes. Grab some yes. comfort. Yes, yes, yes. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm Barbara. And I'm Lauren. We are the hosts of Badass Literature Society, a book review podcast where we take book recommendations from listeners like you, read them, and then discuss them on our show. Join us once a month as we dive into the books you picked and talk about them. And don't miss our bonus episodes covering all sorts of random bookish topics that come out in between reviews. Don't worry, if you want to read one of the books, the first part of each episode is designated spoiler-free, so you can listen and see if you'd like to read it, and then come back and listen to the rest later. You can find Badass Literature Society on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else you like to listen. Now, back to the show. Wow. We haven't had a long one like that in a while. 
But it's okay. Everyone enjoys a really long summary every now and then, right? Every now and again, exactly. Right. And this had so many details that were so important. It was worse yeah. than writing up a murder mystery. Because at least with a murder mystery, when you're done, you can take the red herrings out. And there are no red herrings in this book. Yeah, it's just all magic all the time. But I think, I mean, the reason why is because it's a standalone. Yes. So you gotta have all the details in there. Yes. That's one of the things I like about this book. It's a standalone. How often have we yeah. said it's? it would be lovely to have more standalone and less series? As much as we do love a series, yeah. you, you know we yeah, love we a do. series. But it's nice we to have do. a standalone or a duology. Yeah. Oh, I like a good duology, though. Yeah. Yeah, there's something very satisfying about those as well. But I'm so happy. Yeah. Thank you again, Brie, for picking this out. It was yes, phenomenal. It was a very good suggestion. Yeah. My favorite part, though, can I just tell you, is that she didn't read it beforehand. Yes. She, didn't, she hadn't read this book either. But she knew, based on what she read, like the description of it, that we would like it. And she was right. She was so right. It's like she's in our she brains. She knows us. I know. Scary and I like it. I know. Librarians and demons. Like, and and badass women with swords. What else could oh you need? God. I love that Elizabeth just ran towards everything. She's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You can't do this by yourself. You need me. No, she is not a damsel in distress. The exact opposite of a damsel in the distress. And yeah. she picks up on so much and reads the situations. And, like, you know, she 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 could have quite easily in Ashcroft's study, when he, they think she's under the spell, have not kept that up. She quite, could have right. quite easily, you know, given the game of way by accident. And in some books that would have happened and it was like, no. She's like, hang on, this is not this this I should not be hearing this. Ooh, this is good. Mm-hmm. I best pretend. And that yeah. was, it was just brilliant. Just constantly her running towards the danger and solving the problems. I loved yeah, it. I really loved that about her. I also really liked that after she's been, you know, faking not knowing what's going on and they're like well it's time that we lock her away and then she's like "Uh uh-uh ain't gonna deal with that and she needs the guy in the crotch and runs (laughs) how how pathetic perfect is that guard i mean surely surely when you're taking people into the mental hospital the person's going to be kicking and screaming. You'd be, you know, you would guard your more sensitive bits. Surely. Yeah, you should probably wear a cup. At the very least. Some chain mail, you know, depending on the time. Huh. Depending on the time period, you know. Cover up your bits. <sighs> nope. Obviously not like, paid you know, to have brain cells. No, and I feel like that he was probably, you know, when she knees him in the groin, he's probably like, no, she's, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this. Like, I'm, I'm getting too old for this shit. And he just lets her go. He's like two days away from retirement. 
He is. He's two days away from retirement, mm-hmm. and then he's, you know, he's going to get shot at the end or something. If well, if he keeps in, if he stayed in the book, he definitely would have gotten shot in the end. Yeah. Never. Yeah, around. something bad would have happened to him. That's a, on that's the day a before lesson. his retirement. Exactly. Never announce yeah. your retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Just... If cheesy cop movies have taught us anything. <laughs> Never announce it. Never. Just, oh, by the way, I'm retired. Bye. Gone. Done. Bye. Gone. You'll be fine. You'll survive. <laughs> Can I say my one thing that I didn't particularly enjoy about the book? Yeah. Or, it's not necessarily didn't enjoy. I just didn't need. Yeah. Uh, it was the Elizabeth Nathaniel romance. I didn't need it. Yeah. I would have been fine if they had, like, you know, they had a really good banter going mm-hmm. the whole time. And, you know, couldn't we have just left it at that? Yeah. Couldn't we have just left it at the banter? Because you can tell, obviously, that's going to lead to something. But I don't need them making out in the windows and making it snow and all that crap. I don't need that. Yeah, it, it was... I agree with you. There was two or three fear to black moments. There was certainly one yeah. whole fear to black that's not go into the details but I didn't yeah. need it and I like a story where people are just are friends yeah. it's, it's, it feels more lasting and they, yeah. like you said they had great banter and they had a very friendly banter and I liked yeah. that yeah. So it didn't, the romance brought nothing for me, it could have been left out and it would have been just as good yeah. a book I almost just feel like, you know, she felt like she had to throw it in there because all books like this have romance. You know, well, we got to have romance in there. Going to throw, throw romance in. But now we really didn't need it. No. Actually, I felt really awkward when, like, she was describing how Nathaniel parted her robes with one hand. Like, mm. ew. Ooh. And we, everybody knows... I like my romance books. I like my sexy scenes. You know, I'll I I I quite happily read them. They are on my bookshelf right behind me. But yeah, I didn't need it. I, I, I've had this conversation no. with you and other people where it feels like the romance is shoehorned in, um, yeah. because girls like romance, or you know, it helps the sales or whatever. Um, yeah. It's not the worst shoehorned romance, if that was the case, if the author's original intention was that they, Nathaniel and Elizabeth do get together. That's fine. Um, it's not the worst. The worst, no. in my opinion, is The Hungry Games. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have so many problems with the relationships, but that's by the by. Not a discussion for today. But this, it was more of a no, gentle shoe warning, so it was fine. It led there. It was, it was fairly natural. I just didn't need it. No, I didn't need it either. I agree with you. No. It was but you know so what? Good friendship going on, though, wasn't there with Silas? Yeah. And Catrian. You just uh, that yeah. Bonds. Yeah, we like that. Yeah, and there was so much other good stuff that even though we weren't like there for the romance. There was so much other good stuff that kept the story going, and it was wonderful. So oh, exactly. I mean, I've still given it five out of five stars on Goodreads because yeah. there was just so much good into it, and yeah, th- it was quite relentless in the action as well. Like the first yeah. third was a lot of establishment, so it was up and down. But 
probably from halfway to two thirds of the way in, it was action. And I, I remember reading thinking, I need to stop now because I need to stop before the big finale starts. But actually it was already there from the moment the head of the from the moment the, the Codex Demonicus starts to be tortured and crumble, that's the beginning of the end scene. The, the final act yeah and that's a big chunk yeah. of the book yeah it is yeah there was a lot there was a lot going on but you know there's six libraries and we gotta bust through all of them <laughs> like, well this one's sabotaged this one's ruined this one's ruined this one's ruined <laughs> oh hey guess what this one is too and this one oh we might as well just finish it off and here's a demon <laughs> I liked it, though. I liked that Catrian realized that and, like, drew it on a map. And she's like, hey, look at what is happening here. They're attacking the libraries in a counterclockwise circle. And, oh, my God, that means terrible things are about to happen. (laughs) Oh, I adore that character. I love Catrian. She's so good. You know what? There were so many good characters in this book. I know. I It's so hard for me to choose a favorite. Because, like, I really liked Catrian. She was hilarious. Um, yes. I loved Silas, especially yes. in Silariathus form. Because oh he was just God. badass. Yes. And, like, I even really liked Nicholas and Elizabeth. Yes. I liked them all. And the books. Especially the one who sings opera. <laughs> because why wouldn't there be an opera singing book? Exactly. Exactly. I, oh, I love the fact that the, all the grimoires is like snoring or whispering or laughing or, you know, they're attacking each yeah. other like little gremlins and, the, and she's having to split them apart. And the, the book yeah. likes a giant. <laughs> yes. And all of the... You, you're not just a librarian. You're a librarian who is armed and trained in yeah. the capture of these beasts <laughs> it just goes to show that books can if if used incorrectly books can be dangerous they can be dangerous they can turn into a giant monster and become the size of a house and kill a bunch of people oh the book of eyes with all of covered in eyeballs i loved it it was gross i wanted to poke all of the eyes <laughs> I loved it. I knew you I loved would. It. I knew you would. Yeah. Was that your favorite? I like how it was like, yes, I really liked how the book was so, like, grisly, you know? Greasy. There are lots of scenes where it's like, hmm, yeah, ooh. Oh, here's this book. It's going to murder you. Like, ooh, murder some books. I, mm. Any book that needs to be chained down, in my opinion, or kept in a cage with, surrounded by salt. Seems like it's something I would want to read. Yeah. Yeah, I want to read it. Yeah. It would be dangerous to let us free and win these great libraries, wouldn't it? It really would. It would be dangerous. It would be a bad idea. We do not need to be in charge of these libraries. It would be especially sneaking through secret passages. (gasps) Yes, please. Just be polite. And you... You can go anywhere. Yeah, and you know how much we love books. Yeah. And we would be so kind to them. So they would, like, 
show us all the best secret passages and like help us whenever we got trapped or you know whenever a huge demon was ripping through a portal like perfect they would help us they would yeah they would they would especially at the end when the huge demon's there and they're all flying some of them are sacrificing themselves yeah oh the poor books I do like the fact it took an entire reform to stop the sorcerers from making and binding books with human parts. <laughs> I know. I know. It had to take a law to get them to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, could you please stop making skin and eyeball books? No. Please. No. Please. No. Please do not write that book in someone else's blood. Ooh, too late. Stop it. Stop it. Why would you put This book all... has a belly button on it. Stop it. <laughs> it's got the little the little hair trail underneath as well. Yes, yes. This book is surrounded by teeth. This one Stop is making all body parts. Why is there a book of nipples? All nipples. It's the Codex all the time. Eroticus. It is. It's the Codex Eroticus Ooh, one... Demonicus. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. And then, oh, no. I, I just almost took it too far, and I don't want to do that. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to take the book that far, but... <sighs> do you just want to touch? Do you just want to, like, run your hand over the nipple book and see if it's smooth or bumpy? Just poke each one. Just give them a little twist. Tweak. Yeah. But some of them, some, they're going to be all different sizes and shapes, and some of them are going to have hair rings around them, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them are going to be real big. Well, some of them are going to be tiny. If it's a little bit chilly, some of them they, they could grow out a little bit and protrude a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And what was if it's that horrible leatheriness? Oh like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to touch a leather nipple. It, it could be like a couple of like cow udder styles as well. Yeah. It's a bit weird. Yeah, I don't want to read that book. So eyeballs. What's on the inside of it? (laughs) Eyeballs, teeth, ears. Yeah. But, like, what's on the inside of the nipple book? You know, while we're taking this too far, what's what's on the inside of the nipple book? I I get the feeling it's going to be a lot of um, woodcarved, cut like, woodcutting pictures, prints. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be mm-hmm. those medieval styles where it's um, like the de- the demons and the devils and they're looking at um, being all erotic with women or men. Everyone. Everyone. Cows. Cows. Everything. And mm-hmm. it's it's basically like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey style, but because it, it's just wrong. Yeah. Mixed with uh-huh. the Kama Sutra, mixed with demons. Yeah, yeah, mixed with nipples. Yes. There was an academic on Twitter I follow who, she's a, she's a medieval literature academic uh, in America, and she posts pictures regularly of these type of woodcutting things because she's a massive feminist. And one of them is this devil, and he's looking at absolute horror and disgust, and the woman's holding up her skirt, and basically he's like, Ah! Pussy! <laughs> Yeah. What do I do with that? <laughs> it had me in kinks. That's wonderful. 
I will have to try and find it and I'll post it on the Patreon group. Please do. Do you know what that just reminded me of? Mm. Do you remember the House of Night novella and there was the drawing of the bull and the bull was just a vagina? Yes. Do you remember that? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. Those drawings, like every other page of those illustrations, it was just fantastic. But that one was definitely a vagina. It really was. A big flappy bull vagina. Anyway, let's stop talking about that. We just got like an like an X rating for that <laughs> that segment. That was an X rated segment. The nipple segment. The nipple segment. Yes. Yes. Segment of nipples. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any um, surprises in the book? I mean, I just really loved. It's not really a surprise because of like the rapport that Elizabeth has had with these books for her literal entire life and everyone saying that she's a part of the library, but I just really enjoyed it and it was also kind of sad that the library like came to life and saved them at the end. <sighs> yeah. I'm so glad that they yeah. did. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. We're not going to attack you. We'll, we'll go after Fine. Yeah, yeah. I but like, let's get on with it. Uh-huh. We've been on these shelves for a long time. Yeah, finally, just flapping around with their with their spines and their pages, and yeah, I, I and felt their nipples. Their nipples. It's very delightful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? Were you surprised by anything other than the nipples? Other than the nipples, um, <laughs> this is something I I want to say I was surprised by, but I'm more pleased by. You never find out who Elizabeth's parents are. That's wonderful. I really, really love that. Yep. You don't find out that Emperor Palpatine is Elizabeth's grandfather. It's brilliant. (laughs) That would have been terrible. I think I've just made people vomit. (laughs) You did. I think you did. <laughs> Being sick a little bit myself. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we never find out. She's just an orphan that got dropped off as a baby on the library steps and then was raised amongst the books. I love it. Yep. Do you know, this really made me, like, it reminded me a whole lot of Strange the Dreamer. Mm-hmm. Because Strange the Dreamer, you know, Laszlo Strange is also orphaned at the library and I really enjoy that in in these types of stories the library just takes in all the orphans the library is you know where you go to be safe and taken care of libraries are a sanctuary they are they really are and I like it also it just you know made me think of Strange the Dreamer which made me think of Steve West and we all know. Oh no, we went down that, that rabbit hole. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> Do we have anything else that we need to talk about or can it be time? It's definitely time. It is so time. And I want to see this happen. Oh, it's the best thing ever. That is half gesture, by the way. <laughs> that is a talent. That is a talent. It's a skill and it's amazing. It is a Good. skill. It is amazing. <laughs> so, look, okay, everyone, we're super excited about Would You Rather this time because we are joined by superfan Bree, who is 
signing a lot of the things that we're saying because that is a skill that she has and it's amazing and we might get distracted by watching her hands talk. This is a great time for everyone to join our Patreon bonus tier so you can also witness the magic that is Bree's hands. (laughs) And also her face. I'm I'm watching the face because it's just glorious. Expressions are an integral part of the grammar. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. Okay, (laughs) stop fangirling Amanda. (laughs) <laughs> you have other interpreter friends too <laughs> okay also is it weird that i'm fangirling our fangirl yeah a little bit we need to play would you rather <laughs> oh yeah it's important oh, that's can, why we're here today. can we do can, can, can we do the intro again do we need to do the intro again it's just so i can do the pew 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 you just want to see her pew pew again <laughs> is it time <laughs> It's time. It time! It's time! It's would time. you rather? Yay! That's the best. Okay. What's our question? Right. What's our first question? I can't contain nothing, myself. Nothing in comparison to that. We asked on social media, would you rather be a librarian without any magic of your own who works with magical books or be a sorcerer who has to rely on dangerous deals for your power? Overwhelmingly, everyone wants to be everyone wants to be a librarian. It was amazing. It was amazing. Facebook, hundred percent librarian. Instagram, eighty three percent librarian, and only seventeen percent sorcerer. Twitter, sixty percent librarian and forty percent sorcerer. And on TikTok, eighty one percent librarian and nineteen percent sorcerer. Those figures are amazing. Can I can I tell you guys a secret about me posting this? on the board at my library that they all wanted to be sorcerers. All of the librarians Ooh. chose sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> they know the truth. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Do we want to share some comments? Yeah. They're making I'm a all, deal I'm with a demon. It. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind what the demon was. Yes, let's comments. Comments, Amanda. Colin on Facebook said, Librarian for me, please. I've never been very good at haggling, so making a deal with a demon that in some way involves my immortal soul probably won't end well. Plus, librarians are awesome. Dakota on Facebook says, Librarian, because books. If I'm a sorcerer, when will I have time to read any books? If I don't have any magic of my own, can I steal someone else's and still be a librarian? That would be a win-win. Yes, yes, it would. I feel like an option C. Technically, according to the story. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Quinlan Lefroy on Instagram said, Librarian, because even without magic, they are superheroes. Yeah, they are. You do wear capes on occasion, if it's costume. I've been known to wear a cape. <laughs> no capes. <laughs> Steph Inc. Creations on Instagram said, Librarian! Having the information can be more powerful than you realize. Books Are Forever on Instagram said, Librarian! Because books, forget the magic, it's the books that matter. Why a book chat on Instagram said, A librarian with magical books. So much potential there. (laughs) Everybody's going for the loophole. Alison Chase Williams on Instagram said, Librarian with magical books. 
Rebecca Garner, author on Instagram, said librarian with no powers because I still get magic books and I don't have to live dangerously, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) And L20 Kevin on Instagram said, being a non-reader, I'd be no help to anyone in a library. So gonna have to make a deal with the crossroad demon, even if it means he comes for me in 10 years. At least for 10 years, I'll have ultimate cosmic power. That's excellent. Do you know... I am surprised there was no references. Do you know what I'm surprised about? There's no song by Constance. <gasps> I know. Year's not to over be yet. fair, no there is extenuating circumstances this week with Constance. But there's extenuating circumstances of, of this week. So, Aww. you know, she's not very well. That is true, but... I hope she feels better so soon. So do we. So do we. We love you, Superfan Constance. So, Superfan Bree. Yes, always. What are you choosing? Oh, yeah, it is my turn. Um. So, I'm a big fan of the show Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time and um, Rumpelstiltskin specifically. And he's got a special saying. Let me see if I can do this. All magic comes with a price, dearie. <laughs> it's a horrible impression. But yeah, I'm going to have to go librarian with the magic books. <laughs> because that magic comes with a price, but it's more of an ideological price rather than, you know, actually leeching years off my life. Even though if Silas was the one, then oh, I might yeah. change my mind. Oh, but Silas. you can't always get a Silas. What are you doing, Claire? Yeah. You see, Ultimate Cosmic Power is tempting. Deals with the devils are quite fun. And librarians... If you're a mundane librarian, like, you know, working in public libraries or something, or, you know, academic library or whatever... Fun, good. Your choice is Katrine or Elizabeth. Oh God, I love them both. Katrine is just absolutely <laughs> crazy. You want her as your be- best friend. She's the mundane she library. Is, but what I mean is, the great libraries in Sorcery of Thorns or the libraries in my city and that's the comparison Mm. that's what I'm drawing on with the choice between being librarian or sorcerer it's what I have access to at the moment and if I was a sorcerer in this world I couldn't mess with people that'd be funny if I was a librarian I'd be dealing with you know child vomit and old people large prints and because the public libraries in my country are rubbish they're really bad. Um, or academic librarians. And as a former student myself, I I know what they're like. And who who can be asked with them? Um, but if... Come back to me, I'm still deciding. I don't think anyone ever has to ask me what my answer is going to be if a demon is involved. I'm being a sorcerer. Like, I know that I am a librarian, 
And, you know, being a librarian, even if it's the mundane world public library, like, you never know what you're going to get. Every single day is different in the public library, and I love my public library. But, dude, give me a chance to be a demon or to have a demon give me powers. Taking it. What I don't kind of care. demon would you summon? <laughs> I don't. You see, whereas I would draw the line and say, Laurelay is like horrible. I wouldn't want her. You would. I would. I want to be friends with Lorelai <laughs> and, or I'd be friends with Silas. But you know, it's how you treat them. How did we treat Silas the entire time? Very well. And so he was good to us in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Don't you think Lorelai would have been the same if she hadn't Lorelei been working just... with the villain of the story? No. I think. No. I think. I think she enjoyed it too much. She enjoyed it. She would have been thirsting for your soul or your life essence the whole time probably like you one slip up and but yeah it does depend on how you treat them probably whatever whatever that whatever that is who however i treat them however they turn out to be i don't care i'm summoning a demon would you summon the archon (laughs) yes she would of course she would she'd be ashcroft (laughs) i mean come on (laughs) Do we have? Do we really? Did we really need to ask that question? <laughs> that was, that this was is a true. very redundant question. I just needed in the grand scheme. Can I be the ultimate evil? Hmm. Yes. Yes. A thousand times. You know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna work in one of the great libraries. I will work in one of the great libraries, and I will bring your ass down. I'm torn to the books. I'm not, and I'm gonna wield their power. The power. Of Dewey Decimal System. I need to say this showdown. No, fuck Dewey, man. Yeah, Dewey's a dick. Dewey's a dick. (laughs) Oh my god. He's the worst. Throw that in the sea. No. All right, all right. I'll just stick with the alphabet, it's easier. Let's let's organize our books like in a bookstore. Everyone can understand that. Genrefy everything. Yeah. Oh, borders, I miss you. All right. Next question. (laughs) Would you rather, because you are summoning a demon now, would you rather have your demonic sorcerer's (laughs) mark show up as different colored eyes or as a streak in your hair? Why do you pick hair? Hair. I I like my eyes and I'm not allowed to dye my hair weird colors, so make it bright ass pink or whatever however flamboyant the demon wants to be i want the hair (laughs) oh i do have a honey blonde one is that your is that gonna be your payment your interpreting payment we're gonna randomly send you wigs (laughs) that's what you get (laughs) yes bright yes candy color wigs bright pink one Glow in the dark almost. I have like 70 wigs. At least. 70 boxes of wigs. <laughs> I got a lot of wigs. <laughs> you do. I want a grey one like your Halloween for next Halloween because I'm already planning my costume. Oh, good. Yeah. I'll start randomly sending you wigs, Brie. 
Interpretation aside, I'll just randomly marry wins. You're going to get attacked by hair. <laughs> yep. Half of this is gesturing because I'm not okay. prepared okay. and my brain is tired. <laughs> um, I think that... I think I'm going to go with different colored eyes. Because mm-hmm. my hair's my hair can be different all the time if I want it to be. I just choose for it not to be. Or I can put on one of my... I'm the same. I want wigs. different colored eyes. Exactly. I want, I want some David Bowie shit coming along here. Yeah. You know, my dad has two different colored eyes. But they're very... One's green and one's blue. Ooh. But they're very... Like, as he's getting older, they're, like, evening out a little bit. But, man, like, ten years ago, I asked him, So, Dad, which one of your eyes is a different color? And he just looked at me. Like, shit. I didn't ask that question correctly. <laughs> What's that called? Is it he- hetero heterochromia or something like that? Heterochromia. Two different- yeah, heterochromia. Yes. Thanks, X-Men first class. <laughs> oh, it's oh, been too long to since it. I saw that we need movie. To watch it together. We need to do another Netflix. Mutations party. are groovy. Yeah. Mutations are groovy. Ooh. I'd be okay with that. We just need to see if it's yes. streaming somewhere, Brie. We need to do it. We haven't watched a movie together in are a long time. Are they not on Disney Plus? I don't know. Now I'm just thinking of Eric and Xavier mm. shipping, so. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. Mm, X-Men. Anyway. I love X-Men. It did. That went off Everyone fast. should be used Point. to it by now. We haven't talked X-Men in a long time. I know, we haven't. <laughs> it's probably been since Jackson Ford was on. Possibly. I think that sounds about right. We always talk about X-Men with Jackson Ford. Yeah. They're doing a new X-Men animated series on Disney+. Plus. I know, I'm so excited. X-Men I'm very excited. Oh, it's yeah, a continuation it's of the so 90s good. one, isn't it? Because mutations. Me too. That was that's my where I, That's where I grew up. I grew up with those X-Men. <laughs> yeah, they are my X-Men. Anywho, next question. I will admit to not actually listening to the full audiobook I read this, so I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Would you rather fight a Malfit or a demon? I think it depends on how bad the Malfit is. Because what if it's that one that just sings opera? <laughs> I loved that Something one. like that. Lady I mean, she didn't, she didn't turn bad. She was still just a grimoire, but, you know, what's she going to turn into if if she did become a Malefit? Miss Piggy. Oh, my gosh. That would be Basically. <laughs> just a Victorian okay. Dolly Victorian Parton. Dolly Parton is my new hero. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Victorian Dolly Parton in my life now. I know, it's the best thing. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) 
Oh, I know. When you never oh, knew you needed so something good. until you hear it. Just imagine <laughs> Dolly Parton wearing a corset. It would just be boobs just, all the time. Does she not wear one as it is? It would. Like I mean, she's got such a tiny waist, she doesn't she, need one. She might. Yeah. It would give her borderline yeah. Elvira waist, I really probably. like the idea that, that Dolly Parton and Elvira are like, one is the good version and one is the evil version. One is Alphabet and the other one is Glenda. Or like the <gasps> angel and we devils. We need that adaptation. The angel and devil on your shoulder. Yeah. They really would. But both of them They'd would just give good so advice. pleasant. <laughs> Just one does the little bit more golf. They really would. Um. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go with. Or sorry, I was going because back on target. Um. I would probably. This is hard because I would feel really bad knowing that one, the smell of the malefict would be just overwhelming ink mm. because of the, the gore and stuff being that inky and that would like make me pass out but at the same time it's also a tragedy because if you kill it and you survive then that that book is gone and I the best thing about this story in this world was like all the books having their personalities and it'd be like it would be worse than killing a person so I'm going to have to go with demon because at least then, I don't know. I feel like some kind of ideology could help me not be as Look, sad. sometimes <laughs> books need to be weeded. You got to yep. get them out of the collection. So I'm a, I guess I'm going to fight a Malefit. Yeah, I'm fighting a Malefit as well. I've just culled a few of them from my own library. So, you know, it's a fight to the death. I've got scars. Save the demons. Save the demons, fight the books. Are you like hide hide face scars or more like Irina scars? A bit of both, really. Lots of paper cuts. (laughs) That's the worst part. (laughs) Okay, next question. You are a sorcerer who has lost your magic. Wah, wah. Would you rather make cheese or sell flowers? <laughs> I love Nathaniel, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Every line out of his mouth is perfect. Dry and yep. fits you perfectly. <laughs> but probably make cheese because then my name wouldn't go to waste <laughs> Bree the cheese maker spelled b-r-i so i regret not thinking this question through and just assuming that you would choose cheese <laughs> i can't believe it also i kill flowers i'm the opposite of Annie. sam so- sam the cheese would at least be tasty before it died. It would die in my belly. cheese to mm. die. I love cheese. See, I think making cheese would spoil cheese for me. And I love cheese. 
and I've got black thumbs. Ooh, kind I've of like looking thumbs. at Disney. I, would, I, I literally have two plants in my house and both of them are addicted to coffee, I'm sure. So, but at least <laughs> if it's flowers, I'm just kind of going, you, oh, you want a dozen roses? There you go. Hmm. Put some baby's breath in. It's all, oh, wrap it in paper, done. There is a skill. I'm not belittling florists. You, you, you are creative geniuses, but I don't want to ruin cheese for me. I love cheese. Cheese. So I'm going to sell flowers. I'm also going to sell flowers, but I'm going to sell flowers Little Shop of Horror style. <laughs> so you hire sorcerers who yep. bring the flowers yes, to life. Yes, that sounds like a great <laughs> plan. Carnivorous. Yes, that sounds like a great plan. Or we travel back in time a couple weeks to this poison heart. Yes, you have a poison flower garden. And then we have a second brie. We have two Bree's. Oh, Bree versus Bree. She's the superior version, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> oh. She's only saying that because she knows that that Bree could, you know, kill her if she wanted to. That is, that is true. That is true. That is true. It is. Survival of the be. fittest. But one is real but we would be and friends. the other one is not. It's true. Yeah. So she'd have to turn into a Malefit. Oh, Her she book. would. Her book would be thorny if she did that. Just it thorns really, everywhere. Ooh, yeah. With vines thorny. and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Poisonous too, probably. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather fight Brie or... <laughs> I don't want to fight any Brie's. I like all my Brie's. I'm ordering some Brie for my dinner tomorrow. I'm very excited. <laughs> all brie all the time Ooh. all brie all the time last question would you rather be director of the royal library or director of the great library of harold you're a director either way yeah but there's serious security protocol differences <laughs> one of them is a military barracks almost which oh, means you get true. cannons if you're at Salt Harrow's. cannons. Exploding. Mm. Yep. But if you're at the Royal Library, then you get... Um, Parsifal. Name starts with a P. Oh, and Parsifal. Yes! You get Parsifal. And you get Katrine. No, you get to manage Katrine. There's a difference. <laughs> true. <laughs> It's a big There's one difference. thing being BFFs with somebody who's that crazy and actually having to, you know, be their manager. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Royal Library. I feel like it's cleaner. <laughs> yes! I got that impression as well. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Carol's is probably a little bit, you know, grimy. It's a little dusty. The, uh... You know, things are falling apart in there. It might have better secret passages, yeah. though, because it's carved out of a mountain. I'm still going to go well, with the Royal Library. I'm going to go with Harrow's, but as the director there, I would make sure it was a very different work environment culture 
but we'd still have all the safety mm -hmm. and it would be in a mountain. I don't like sit. I like cities, but I don't like, you know, the huge hustle and bustle and like a library in a mountain and all the potential for like all the hidden things and expansion. And it just, it just sounds too fun. Plus to cannons. Plus cannons. Really. That's See, I'm gonna go with the big, big city downtown library. I'm gonna. Uh, that's where I'm gonna go. I don't have oh, I mountains, yeah, so it. I'm gonna pick the mountain. See, I I got an impression that Harold's was like Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings. That's what. That's what was in my Definitely. mind. It was a, a grander Helm's Deep, which is cool. Uh -huh. Does it come with Carl Urban? Um, if I'm the director. I can make it come with Carl Urban. You can. You can make Carl Urban transfer there from any the of the other libraries. Or just, you could you know, do that. He would be a warden. He would be. And if you're at Harrow's, you're in the middle of nowhere, so you don't have to deal with oh, collegium yeah. politics. That's a good thought. What's the climate? Do you think it's rainy? Probably cold. Mm. Probably cold. Yeah, probably. I, I, it's, it's, cold. it's probably just the weather I'm dealing with all the time anyway. At the Royal Library, you've got all the aristocrats like being all, oh, look, we're pompous and we have money and our blood is better than yours because... That just means your library is going to be better funded. <laughs> yeah, and Devil's Advocate, they have the very much more open-minded culture about the magic and the artifacts and the demons because they're surrounded by sorcerers. Yeah. But they don't have... And that pun was fully intended. Grimoires. I mean, neither does Harrow's now. You gotta make a decision. The Royal Library did have a lot of really nice ones in the vault. Yeah. I'm gonna go for the, I'm gonna go for Harrow's, but I'm gonna get not Fine. have the arena pit with the Malefits because that was cruel and awful and I didn't like that. Smarter traps mm -hmm. and get more cleaning staff. Get more cleaning staff. Yeah, just totally <laughs> retrofit that place. Like it needs renovation. It needs, you know, Plus I feel like I could stalk around up. the place like some kind of like it's like an evil lair. Whereas the Royal Library, I feel like if I'd made any kind of noise, it, I would be shushed. Which you, you shouldn't shush people. In Not if I was the director. <laughs> well, that's fine. But I'm the director in the Royal Library, and I'm like uncomfortable in it because it's too clean, too, uh, too. I don't know, just too, just too. Whereas at Harrow's, I feel like, get some more janitorial staff, clean the place up, liberate that poor Malefit in the arena, mm -hmm. and then I can stalk around the place like some kind of evil bad guy and mumbling to myself and really lean in heavily to that whole crazy-ness. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. All right. <laughs> That was a lot of and consideration. And if the other libraries turn against you, you're fortified. Exactly. Exactly. You'll be safe. Okay. Well, that's the end. That's the end of uh, Would You Rather. 
Oh. I know, it's so sad, but um, it was fun. So, so does everyone remember a couple of weeks ago when Superfan Annie joined us? And every time that Superfan Constance is on and they recommend our books for If You Liked This, Try This. Does everyone remember that? We decided it will be fun to... I remember that. Good. We decided it will be fun <laughs> to force Superfan Bree to do that as well. So we're going to skip favorite final thought quote for a moment and move straight on to if you liked this, try this. Bree, what do you have to suggest for us today? Okay. So these are all taken from Goodreads and I'm probably mispronouncing one or two of the names wrong, but we, we go on. First one is The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern and... The description says, this is the gorgeous cover, Zachary Ezra Rollins is a graduate student in Vermont when he discovers a mysterious book hidden in the stacks. As he turns the pages, entranced by tales of lovelorn prisoners, key collectors, and nameless acolytes, he reads something strange, a story from his own childhood. Bewildered by his inexplicable book and desperate to make sense of how his own life came to be recorded, Zachary uncovers a series of clues, a bee, a key, and a sword that lead him to a masquerade party in New York, to a secret club, and through a doorway to an ancient library hidden far below the surface of the earth. What Zachary finds in this curious place is more than just a buried home for books and their guardians. It is a place of lost cities and seas, lovers who pass notes under doors and across time, and of stories whispered by the dead. Zachary learns of those who have sacrificed much to protect this realm, relinquishing their sight and their tongues to preserve this archive, and also of those who are intent on its destruction. Together with Mirabelle, a fierce pink-haired protector of the place, and Dorian, a handsome barefoot man with shifting alliances, Zachary travels to the twisting tunnels, darkened stairwells, crowded ballrooms, and sweetly soaked shores of this magical world, discovering his purpose in both the mysterious book and in his own life. Mm-hmm. So that sounds fun. That's on my and TV, it has a lot of definitely. More yeah, I than, marked it as want to read a long time ago. There's a lot of more than tenuous connections. Yes. Almost <laughs> not tenuous at all. <laughs> I, I love I love your tenuous connections. I'm not dissing them that at all. That one has hashtag actual connections. Yes. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> okay. Next is The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco, a story of scorned witches, sinister curses, and resurrection. The Bone Witch is the start of a dark fantasy trilogy. Okay, I'm going to pronounce this like the Yu-Gi-Oh character, because that is my bias. When Taya accidentally resurrects her brother Fox from the dead, it's probably T, she learns she is different from other witches in her family. Her gift for necromancy means that she's a bone witch, a title that makes her feared and ostracized by her community. But T, Taya, finds solace and guidance with an older, wiser bone witch who takes Taya, Taya, T, and her brother to another land for training. In her new home, (laughs) Taya, T, puts all her energy into becoming an Asha, one who can wield elemental magic. But dark forces are approaching quickly. And in the face of danger, T, Taya, 
will have to overcome her obstacles and make a powerful choice. <laughs> that was good. And that also has hashtag actual connections. Necromancy! Who Yay! doesn't love a bit of necromancy? Wrong people. It's always best for I really like it when occasions. Keanu Reeves is involved. All in right. Necromancy. <laughs> Especially when Keanu's involved in the necromancy. Okay, and last but not least, the slightly pandering selection, but still amazing looking. Give the Dark My Love by Beth Revis. Oh, we love Beth Revis. Oh. And 17-year-old Nedra Bristain leaves her home in the rural northern territories of Lunar Island to attend the prestigious Yugen Academy. She has only one goal in mind. Learn the trade of medicinal alchemy. A scholarship student matriculating with the children of Lunar Island's wealthiest and most powerful families, Nedra doesn't quite fit in with the other kids at Yugen, who all look down on her. All except for Gregory Gray Astor. Gray is immediately taken by the brilliant and stubborn Nedra, who he notices is especially invested in her studies. And that's for a good reason. A deadly plague has been sweeping through the north, and it's making its way through the cities. With her family's life and the lives of all Lunar Island citizens on the line, Nedra is determined to find a cure for the plague. Gray and Nedra continue to grow closer, but as the sickness spreads and the body count rises, Nedra becomes desperate to find a cure. Soon, she finds herself diving into alchemy's most dangerous corners. And when she turns to the most forbidden practice of all, necromancy! <laughs> Even Gray might not be able to pull her from the darkness. That sounds, sounds good. So good. Yeah. I also it like the necromancy. necromancy. <laughs> and that's how it shall be pronounced from here on. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, it's good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Super Fan Bree. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for recommending this book. It was not on my radar, and I'm so glad that you. Well, put it there. Yeah. Been on my TBR for ages and I finally got an excuse to <laughs> See, read it. isn't this perfect? Join our Patreon. Join us for Would You Are, Would You Rather, and it means that you can get one book at least off your TBR list. It's perfect. It's perfect. Necromancy! Necromancy. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, Brie, until next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. Love you too. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yay. Love I love it when our super fans join us. Yes. All super Even when even when that means like, you know, our segments get mixed up. I'm okay with it. I let it happen. Yes, it's the exception. Yes. Yes. So now we've had Would You Rather and we had If You Liked This, Try This. So now we got to backtrack and go back to favorite final thought quote. What's your favorite final thought quote? Oh, there were so many. There were so many good ones. So many. I I only picked two. Oh. And only one of them is of any import at all. <laughs> I have six. Do you want all six or should I cut it down? 
I don't know. That's a lot. Yeah. I think you should cut it I'll down. It that's down. a lot. It is. Uh, I mean, you could just quote this whole book because it was really good. But that would make our our episode even longer. I'm going to give you four. I'm going to cut it down to four. Okay. What are you What are you going to start with? Of course, they're more lighthearted ones first. Virgins, in general, have fewer magical properties than people tend to assume. <laughs> Thank you. Someone finally saying that. Finally. Ugh. Um, the, the, the next three are probably a bit more serious. Okay. What is the point of life if you don't believe in anything? Oh. Yeah. I said that exact same thing when I read it. Surely it's better to face evil than cower from its presence, learning nothing. Oh, yeah, that's that's Elizabeth in a nutshell. Libraries are dangerous places. There's no getting around it. They are dangerous places. Oh, especially if you have a sword. What? Okay. What are you? Talking? I only have two. Yes. If I fail, I'll die. Then at least I'll have a use. They can bury me in the garden to feed the radishes. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Okay. Then my serious one you belong in the library as much as any book yeah oh yeah so good so good i love it yeah do we have any spotlight that can even hashtag tenuous link honestly not really but it's like a it's like a six degrees of separation, six degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of thing. Okay. Because this one kind of tenuously links to one that Brie suggested. Okay. Kind of. Kind of tenuously, I believe. Because I mean, give the dark my love by Beth Revis. I mean, everything that Beth Revis does is in space, right? So tenuous tenuously tied and this one is called the prophecy by philip asmundson she thought she'd sacrificed enough now she's the only hope of two planets if she can unlock the mystery in time alexa celebrated 12 birthdays without her beloved father but on the eve of her sweet 16th he miraculously returns with a gift she never imagined her destiny. Ooh. Can she trust what he says after all these years? What really happened? Now, as she and her friends unravel the mystery of her father's disappearance, they discover something bigger than themselves, their planet, and even their universe. Can they unlock the secrets of these Southwest millions of years in the making? And how is their future tied to a planet thousands of light years away? Ooh. Look, it's space. space. We love a space book. Who cares? Space! Who cares? Who cares if it has anything to do with anything we're talking about or not? Because we love space books. Exactly. So deal with it. Exactly. It is a known fact we like good sci-fi. Oh, we do. 
We do. We, we do. (sighs) All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we get a little bit closer to Christmas and discuss The Afterlife of Holly Chase by Cynthia Hand. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed Christmas presents. (laughs) And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Also, be sure to tune in to our live episode on Sunday, December 19th at various time zones throughout the world. I hope it's 9 o'clock for me. (laughs) 3 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. GMT. Uh, Everyone else can figure it out. Because it's a lot of times. It is. But 3 for me, 9 for Claire. Join us. It'll be a lot of fun. We're talking about (laughs) The Christmas Spirits, a short story by Grady Hendrix. It's really fantastic. (laughs) And you can... Listen to it being read on another podcast that we found, and you can find all those. You can find that link on our social media. So everyone, make sure you read that before December nineteenth and join us in our live episode. Very good. Until next time, remember the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book or another nipple. <laughs> We're very nipple heavy lately. We are. Really why. We are. We're obviously nipple obsessed. We are. We are. And I really have no idea why. Shrug. <laughs> Shrug. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you'd like this episode, check out our others, a rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>